Hey, I'm your host, George Payne, and welcome to Build Up Africa, a podcast brought to you by Adiverse in which we explore the rapidly developing African tech landscape with a focus on Web3, entrepreneurship, and investing. You can listen to Build Up Africa on YouTube, Medium, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. What led to all these problems is really the inflation and devaluation of the currencies. Currencies behave differently in Africa compared to the rest of the world. Market prices don't always make sense and stability is a rarity across the continent. In fact, the various currencies in Africa often have a different free market and central bank rate. The difference between them can often be quite stark. For example, on Wednesday, November 23rd, in Nigeria, the domestic currency, the Naira, touched an intraday range of 447 as a low and a high of 435 per dollar before closing at 446 per one dollar. Meanwhile, the Naira exchange rate in the open market was hovering within the range of 760 and 780 to a dollar fortnightly. That's a pretty sizable gap by any standards. There are a host of reasons for these market conditions, from central bank policy to government spending, remittance flows, market speculation, and more. However, these conditions are driving crypto stablecoin adoption across regions like Nigeria. Akanza, we're building bestoke CFI and DeFi solutions to target the key challenges facing the African continent. Today, we're talking to the founders of Kanza Finance about the development of the stablecoin economy in Africa and the implications of this new system for businesses and startups building in the space. My name is Oida Jalawaya. I am um, co-founder and CTO of Kanza Finance. Uh, quick background about myself. I was um, born and raised in Sydney, Australia. Uh, moved to uh, Alabama in the United States for high school and then college and university. So I did um, started off with um, doing network, uh, CCNA and CompTIA Network Plus certifications. Got me interested in just how to, you know, how computers are interacting with each other. And then I also led into doing a bachelor's of science in computer science. So um, that curiosity got me into a job with, um, within AT&T out there in a network leadership program in Atlanta, Georgia. I was part of the global, um, global network implementation engineering team overseeing all of Asia PAC. So I'm uh, Hong Kong, Vietnam, India, uh, New Zealand, uh, Guam, etc. Um, so within that, I was also... Uh, so my parents, parents are Nigerian, uh, both got PhDs and, and, and really focused on academia within the household. So that led me into doing a master's, uh, a master's uh, degree in computer science as well. And that led me into doing a thesis uh, focused on Bitcoin. Um, that, that was like the internet, all that network engineering experience mixed in with my own um, research towards understanding money. So um, that, that was uh, for 2015, defended that in 2016 and um, been down the rabbit hole ever since. So that's a very quick high level background. Um, did uh, a lot of outreach activities within Zcash outreach, African-American students, universities, um, ICO advisory aspects towards telecom and smart contracts, and then also um, winning a social impact award at AT&T for giving a blockchain um, as a money transmitter service on top of a um, cloud solution that was backed between reminiscence within the US and Mexico. So um, that's high level. And then I got my co-founder, Pascal. Hey, um, Pascal Sama. I'm originally from Cameroon, but my family migrated out of Cameroon when I was 11 years old. Uh, so I spent majority of my life in the United States. Um, my background is pretty much in engineering. I uh, started off my career quite early, actually. I started doing some undergraduate research in the fields of um, electric vehicle as well as um, RFIDs 
And uh, one of those projects actually got some recognition from IEEE, the electric vehicle project. Basically, we were building a source to power an electrical uh, electric vehicle that was uh, more along the sides um, along the side of like using an ultra capacitor as opposed to lithium bat- bat- batteries and other types of um, power sources. And uh, basically, that uh, got some um, attention along with the second research I did that was in the space of um, RFID communication and we're building a complete passive RFID tag. What that means is basically you could think of playing your uh, video game controller, but you never have to power power it because it's being done wirelessly through um, the controller itself. And, and then uh, that got some attention from uh, AT&T and got me into one of their positions at the headquarters level. And what we were doing there was basically um, doing an assessment of the market and designing different strategies to implement 5G technology nationwide. And uh, so I did that for about three years. That's why I met Deji. Uh, we just kicked it off. I think we're two of the young Africans in the company that were really um, touching very innovative stuff. And he just got us, got us together and we, we just kept talking um, different ideas that we could implement back home. And uh, very early on, we understood that like fintech or financial services was a big um, um, kind of a big challenge in the continent. And the stories seem to be very similar when you go to different countries. They just from Nigeria and from Cameroon, almost the same types of struggle. Um, and I think that got us um, um, closer and closer to the crypto space. But I think things really kicked off when Deji was doing his master's thesis. Uh, I think it was in the uh, Bitcoin, the, the network analysis of Bitcoin. And uh, that really got me interested. And uh, we were looking at it more from a solution standpoint, even though we started trading. Uh, I think the first activity we started was trading. Uh, we made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. I mean, it was 2017. Anybody that was trading then should have made money. And that followed on with the crash, uh, I think, of late 2018 uh, and 2019. And that even pushed us a lot more towards like on uh, doing something on the solution side. And we started off with a consulting company where we're doing a lot more of education. That got us the opportunity to meet folks at BNY Mellon. Um, it got us a grant into Zcash, as Deji mentioned, to do um, outreach at the university level. And things just slowly kicked off then. Uh, I found myself doing some um, advisory for um, our DMS, basically just sharing some information with them on how they can compete with the major um, telcos. And essentially, we uh, started Kenza Finance very early on, which was an API as a service-based um, um, company. We thought, let's build all these APIs and make them ready for uh, people on the ground that are building financial solutions already. And that was kind of very early on. Um, we did not get the traction we we're looking for. And uh, we, we understood that people need actual products. We need more customer-facing products in the market to resolve problems that they have using um, um, cryptocurrency and Web3 in general. And uh, we went through two accelerator programs, one with Tycoon and the other with Flory Ventures, which is backed by Celo. And uh, those two programs basically outline us towards what we wanted to do, which was um, build financial solutions using Web3. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a brief intro of myself. Um, anything crazy about me, I, I think I 
Uh, I'm a big basketball fan, and also I'm I'm very big on space science. I'm always following up the next evolution, and hopefully I could transition from Web3 to space science one day. <laughs> For the purpose of the listeners, what is Kanza? What have you built, and problem is it solving? At Kanza, we're building bespoke CFI and DeFi solutions to target the key challenges facing the African continent, such as currency devaluation and the fragmentation of liquidity. So having started as like an OTC desk and um, facilitating payments cross-border across the continent and the world, we kept noticing how challenging it was for cross-border trade to flourish. So we have multiple different solutions um, stemming from that OTC aspect of just buying and selling in the massive peer-to-peer explosion that we've seen with multiple reports from chain analysis, et cetera. But like, um, yes, we're building basically uh, from our DeFi side, like it's something a tool called Barky, which is an infinite liquidity FX exchange. Um, which is an implementation of like the multi-currency stable coins back to within the African continent. Um, from the CFI aspect, we're building more of the stable coin, the stable coin cross-border uh, transactions. Um, also, uh, custom peer-to-peer uh, financial contracts on chain. So we're, we, we've um, we designed the team to like really bring traditional TradFi knowledge and like um, all those exotic products that we've seen in the TradFi aspect, and then redesign them on towards on-chain, and that's across multiple of the blockchains that we're operating on. Uh, and, and then we also use the stable coins in the background to help beat, you know, basically the parallel market rates and essential bank rates. So it's um, it's a it's a, it's a unique mix between, um, like I said, the CFI and the DeFi aspect. But it's um, the right money Legos that are interoperable and then they're also integratable. And then also making sure everything's transparent and everything on chain. Could you speak more to the stablecoin evolution in Africa? A very interesting time we find ourselves in where people are starting to be much more receptive to the idea of stablecoins in that economy uh, in Africa. What have you seen from your perspective? Like, so once we relocated back into in, into the African continent, once we got out of the consensus mesh and tachyon program, um, we really wanted to understand like what are the problems on the ground? Um, not really come from the aspect of using our education of like bringing the same solutions that we see on the West towards um, the African continent. But we have a massive focus within um, cancer, which is localization of infrastructure. Like what are the current tools that are already on the ground? And then how do we build around that? So the end user doesn't change their behaviors. Right. So once we were doing a lot of like this uh, peer-to-peer and operating within the peer-to-peer markets, we've seen that um, USDT and um, had a lot of traction. Uh, from first movers advantage there. So, um, you know, I would go into um, Ibadan, which is maybe around two hours away from Lagos. And um, and and we'll go to some of like um, the currency traders on the ground. And, you know, you can go into maybe a village and, and we see uh, somebody that's doing transactions or curious about Bitcoin. And when we're like, okay, let's just do some test transactions, you know, give us his blockchain.com wallet. So then we were, when we were understanding basically the volume or the volume capacity per trader, we've seen that he's transacted more than like 8 million US dollars worth on the USDT. And that's when we're just like, oh, wow, you know, these individuals of how you see them as, you know, small to medium sized businesses, you know, with the smartphone adoption, they give them access into these capital markets. So that's that's what we've seen when USDT had a, had a, had a massive uh, traction aspect. I think uh, we've, we just did a, a, a massive uh, partnership with uh, Jed and, and the Cutty. So we're understanding how now we can implement different stable coins on top of the Cardano network, et cetera, to, you know, help with that cross-border, especially when we see parallel market rates that are, you know, at a, at a premium of 30 to 40% from the central bank rate. So that's, that's where we've seen stable coins. Um, USDT wallet addresses, a majority of sub-Saharan Africans have them. Um, young millennials, I think the average age um, with an African continent is 19. 
So you have this very, you know, very young, smart, attractive uh, uh, people that want to build products around. And, and, and what I've seen is that, you know, from the African content, it's very resilient, right? So, you know, we can just, uh, we work and build with what we have, right? So once we had the stablecoin offerings and options, especially with, you know, different political aspects and, and different campaigns over the last couple of years, you see how these technologies and innovation can flourish with just, with, you know, access to what stable coins. So I think that's what we're focusing on over here is like innovation of stable coins, the interoperability of them, and, um, you know, how to get um, in and out of different um, uh, platforms and chains that have X amount of stable coin exposure. I think the Bitcoin and the digital asset space is around 1 trillion. So our big thing was like, how do we utilize um, these assets that are even not in like utilized type of uh, scenarios of being... Um, being worked on like collateralization, TVL, etc. But like, how do we bring that and turn it into like the real fire, right? The real finance, the real, the real aspect of you know, I'm seeing actual change to help you know different business processes flourish. And and just to add to that, I think what's also happening is there's kind of a trend, there's a change of mindset where, um, I guess what led to all these problems is really the the, the inflation and devaluation of the currencies. And so you're having um, a lot more self-education happening and people are starting to understand, okay, if I can get the dollar at uh, the premium rate in the market and I can get it at its market value, maybe I can get it as a stable crypto, right? And the first wave of that, you know, were people that had already experienced trading cryptocurrency. But then I think it's starting to um, quickly um, um, and propagate, right, even across um, those that are not very sophisticated traders, because um, I would say in the last two years, there's been a massive um, um, undertaking of building a lot more on-ramps and off-ramp channels. That's almost happening on, I would say, on a daily basis. There's somebody that is trading, and obviously there's a big um, peer-to-peer market in Nigeria, and it's expanding across the continent as well. So I think um, part of this is also, um, like, there's, there's been quite uh, a... Um, it's very difficult to track, right? But because of necessity and 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 uh, limited supplies, people are willing to adopt crypto, um, stable cryptocurrency as part of um, an asset that they could use for their typical transaction. And they are also seeing a lot of value in that. Okay, it's not just about um, getting stable crypto so I can make a payment for an import. I could also just store that, right? Actually, I can preserve my value in stable cryptocurrency and, and hedge against the devaluating currencies. So I think there's a lot of um, um, self, um, um, I would say, exploration going on, which right now is the perfect time to kind of harness that with a with a product. And essentially, that's that's what we're trying to do with our set of products. And how are you guys integrating the Cardano blockchain? You mentioned that earlier, building on top of it. What's the specific use case that you guys have there? We've brought like a certain subset of like um, our financial innovations, like those custom peer-to-peer contracts. Um, that that that's that's also being developed in, in a stealth aspect. Um, we've also obviously with the with the Jet aspect, we've um, did a lot of the testnet parts of understanding how that stablecoin can be um, integrated, especially when it comes to like OTC and peer-to-peer. How can that um, be a, as well as another layer on, on chain? Um, especially also as well, there's, there's different other ADA concepts that we've done different proof of concepts of just creating wallets around USSD technology, using uh, USSD access to just create um, ADA wallets. Um, and then also working within the ecosystem of partners 
Um, I think when when I you know, keep mentioning the peer-to-peer -peer space, that also gives a massive opportunity for these different OTC desks to to utilize different assets as uh, as a means of tra transfer. And then ADA is also being uh, one of one of the methods that we've been pushing as well. So it's um it's a big ecosystem um, of how we we're utilizing it. Um, also, I think as well the um, the EVM sidechain and that testnet has has been rolled out. So we're um, doing some tests as well, so we can just integrate that within uh, other EVM products that we've that we've have already. So um, yeah, the ADA ecosystem, it's been um, it's been tested and, and, and um, battle battle tested within within our R and D aspects, and then also rolled out within our OTC activities, especially the peer to peer market space. Over the next six months to a year, where are you guys planning to develop product wise? So I think in the in the next uh, six months, first, um, just um, a couple months from now, we'll be rolling out Jara Network. Jara Network is our um, crypto based new bank, so it's where we're going to offer a lot more of our CFI um, um, type services. Um, we're rolling it out with the first service being um, cross-border payments, uh, but it's quickly going to evolve based off our uh, customer needs that we've, we've, we've gathered so far. There's also need for treasury. So asset managers, um, traditional asset managers in the continent are trying to play within the DeFi space, but they don't want to go through the learning curve. Um, so that's something which we would, would plan to offer them. On the DeFi side, we have uh, Baki, which uh, Deji mentioned is kind of our uh, uh, synthetic um, African token um, FX market. Uh, that would be also coming out on uh, Q4 of this year. And alongside, uh, still on the DeFi end, we're working on a fixed yield product. Basically, you could um, get a fixed yield of any variable um, pool. And uh, again, that product is specifically targeted again to customer requests from asset managers that said, you know what, we want to be in the DeFi space, but we don't like the fluctuations, right? Is there a tool that can offer a variable yet on a variable, uh, sorry, a fixed rate, right, on these pools where we can be confident about how much we're going to make when we do allocate the funds? So we're also working on a fixed yield product that is um, going to be ready by um, beginning of next year, maybe Q1 to Q2. And uh, actually, myself, I'm in Kenya right now uh, talking to some regulators and trying to get a green light on um, having our first crypto CTM installed in Nairobi, Kenya. So we're also in that space. And uh, um, that's pretty much the core products that we'll be um, going to market with in the next uh, three to six months. You mentioned there with the regulators speaking to them. I think this is an interesting topic within within Africa. It seems that there's generally support for regulators to get involved or enhance the framework for crypto in Africa. And I think it's sometimes seen as antithetical to growth in the U.S. and other parts of the world. But in Africa, I seem... I seem to be seeing and hearing about a bit more support for that regulatory framework because it helps businesses and people assume more credibility in the technologies. Do you see an enhancement of regulatory framework critical to furthering the use of the technology on the continent? Yes, yes, I do see that. And uh, at this point, I think we're pretty much interacted with three regulators in three different um, parts of the, of the continent. And uh, what we're seeing is a quick transition into first trying to understand um, a lot about Web3 um, because you, you also have to consider 
that um, the African narrative is going to be different from the Western narrative or the U.S. narrative, right? And what's going on here is there's already enough, um, I would say, enough uh, um, activities for them to have to manage, right? Like, first, they're trying to stabilize their the fiat um, currencies. They're trying to um, recover from the effects of COVID-19 um, that affected pretty much every economy on the continent. So the focus was towards those type of uh, aspects. And uh, at that point, the only way they could address crypto was just a ban, right? Just to make sure that it's not um, it's not really um, um, expediting the, the, the negative effects, right? And I think um, after seeing what happened in Nigeria, massive amount of um, traction, and the peer-to-peer -peer market, making Nigeria the second largest BTC um, traded market. Uh, that got the attention of a lot of governments. Um, it, it was pretty clear to them then that uh, crypto could be an avenue to solve a lot of problems that they might have, including um, just access to, to FX markets, um, beaten the, the limitations in correspondence banking and other issues that they've been accustomed to in, in the last few decades. So um, very quickly, there's been actually a transition. Uh, they're, they're a lot more eager to learn about crypto. They want to talk with players in the space that are building solutions for their market. And uh, um, and they do understand that it's there's it's going to be very difficult, right, to roll out a solution that address um, um, the major issues without the regulators being part of it, right? Because I think in, in the Web3 space, we, we get very comfortable thinking we can kind of create our own world. But at the end of the day, that world is going to exist still in the real world. And in the real world, there's a financial regulator that is going to sit between your solution and customers to make sure that there's protection, there's security, and there's integrity, right? Even though all of that information is going to be available on chain. So I would say there's, there's a transition where we're seeing a lot more, um, uh, they're opening the doors, they're, they're a lot more uh, receptive. Um, even though I would say, yes, there's still a lot of work to do, but the way I look at it is there's a lot of work to do on both ends. Right. The regulators have to kind of um, um, create the environments for builders to share information and builders have to be ready. Right. Like it's almost like a social responsibility. Right. Like we have to be ready to um, share the necessary information to get the best regulations. You talked about regulators becoming a bit more open to the idea of embracing blockchain technology and P2P transfers. That's kind of been the initial driver what do you guys see as driving business adoption of this technology and where Kanza fits into that in terms of productizing the technology and what actually do you see as the main drivers of it? And then going forward, how do you enhance and scale that adoption amongst businesses? Smartphone adoption across the way of the continent is a massive driver. Um, just to like, to, to, to like smash down that barrier of just access, right? Just giving you a mobile wallet is basically your identity to, to get into these digital asset um, ecosystem. I think um, the businesses, um, a lot of uh, like uh, B2B aspects or B2B channels that we work on, you know, it seems like a lot of them, you know, some do need the education aspect, but some are very sharp and they really know exactly like, okay, um, you know, the, the basic understanding of just, okay, USDT or, or you know, um, a Cardona, different assets, like they really have that basically that fundamental level of um, digital asset exposure. 
Um, I think as well, like, like I think I said, like multiple different changes within, you know, um, you know, legislations and policies and regulations that would obviously, you know, be a much bigger eye opener to those international, like, you know, companies that want to do um, different business activities. But like, um, you know, just from like, you know, even the rule and the other person at the end, at the, at the end of the value chain, like just having that smartphone and getting access and towards, towards, you know, just, you know, education, right, identity type of services, you know, healthcare, um, welfare, all those different type of things. Like that's, that's literally, I think, like the massive aspect of the IoT economy and, um, you know, just the internet pushing towards that, you know, with 2G technology, and I'm just speaking from a telecom aspect, you know, you got these 2G still technology, massive like footprint, you know, if you wrap that around and you create synthetics and then you connect that with um, blockchain technology, now you just have a gateway, you know, people with non-smartphones has to have access towards these different financial type of activities, which they never had before. So that's what I think telecoms a massive, a massive player there. Um, obviously education across the board, like I said, the average age 19, like if you go to these different universities, you know, I think we stopped by a couple of universities in Kenya, in Nairobi, stopped by some in Nigeria. Um, we were also in Cameroon last year as well. Like these guys are sharp, right? Like the API offerings, training, training, like the education overlay, into giving them like, you know, junior level, senior level, um, university students, access to APIs, access to building products. And, and there's a massive push for hackathons with like open source technology and just like building simple applications across multiple uh, different verticals. So I think um, like the education, telecom, um, and like I said, I think the fundamental aspect when we look at like massive um, uh, international companies is there. It's just like the um, the adoption of it. Yeah, I would just say education is is, is kind of the big the biggest one, and uh, uh, it's kind of also again a two sided uh, um, problem because they have to be education of the users, right? And it's unfortunate that the the first movers into the African market, um, um, a lot of the products were kind of scams, and so a lot of people that interacted with crypto the first time got hurt. Right. And the only thing they learned from it was crypto is a scam. Right. And so it's almost like we have to go back and educate those users. Right. To to show them what the technology is really about and what it can do for them by giving them products that solve their most important problems. And then also educate those that are on the way, uh, uh, kind of like in the fence, right? They've heard crypto is a scam. They know someone that got scammed, so they're staying away from it, right? We have to also educate those 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 people, right? So there's kind of a big, um, there needs to be a big uh, education initiative on the customer end, which I think for us uh, builders in, in, in this side of the world, we are having to educate them um, as part of the process of onboarding them as a customer. So it's kind of tedious because um, you're cultivating your own customers and at the same time you have to retain them. Um, but it's, it's, the, it's just what is the right thing we have to do to grow the market. But it would be nice to see it happen at a, a bigger scale um, where we can all leverage as a, as a, as a, a sector. Um, then there need to be also um, education on the solution side and, and mainly when it comes to um, growing the numbers of developers right across different types of um, um, networks. And uh, that it seems to be a challenge. I think the, there are a lot of people working on addressing that. Um, um, but it, 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 I think it's, it needs to be done, right? The, the customers are there, they're ready. We can work on educating them. 
But if we struggle to find people that could actually build the innovation that we need to take to these customers, uh, that could also affect, um, um, it could affect, um, could have some effect, right? Or ripple effect on, on the sector on this side of the world. So, um, it would be good to see a lot of participation, um, from, from networks on the growing their developer communities locally. Um, like Deji mentioned, uh, there, there, there's a lot of smart people in the continent. Actually, all of our engineers are based out of Africa. And, uh, there just need to be a lot more resources to go towards them, um, when it comes to understanding how to build and, and, uh, doing it in a way where it's very streamlined, right? They don't have to go across multiple different things or multiple different articles. Um, and it will be even interesting, right, to see, for example, um, material resources that could help the French-based speaking country developers, right? Um, like this language barrier that is an issue. Uh, if I'm in Mo- Mozambique and I don't speak English on the daily, how could I build, you know, how could I even go through the developer materials, right, if it's all in English? And if I don't have a community that I can rely on, right, uh, does that now mean I have to somehow, you know, uh, figure things out by myself? So it's it's really a lot of pressure on on local builders, um, and and I think that needs we need to also put some attention there, right? Uh, educating the builders and also educating the the customers. So education is key here to the next part of the evolution of of, of the technology on the continent, um, which makes a lot of sense. I and I. Interesting point you make there around the French-speaking regions. I think a lot of the literature is kind of neglects that because a lot of it is Anglo-centric to the extent that it, all of the Twitter rooms or clubhouses or community resources are English. Even this podcast is English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> um, exactly. People outside of Africa, I think, often forget that there is such, that is such a critical part of Africa and it's such a massive region and the builders of the future are not necessarily, they're not all going to come from the English speaking countries and regions. And that has to be that accommodation for that sort of building in that education system there. Is that part of your roadmap at Kansas to sort of allocate some into, into the education around it or is it purely product? Yeah. Early on when we just started doing like uh, that, that research company, Pascal said like that, when we started doing outreach activities, it really gave us a massive window and understanding what the end users really care about, right? And how do we communicate with the end users, right? At that time, like, you know, 2017, when you talk to African-American students, it was just like ICOs, you know, what's this price? What's this? And less about the technology, right? And actual impact of it. So once we brought that towards that, the, the, the African continent, like, you know, like I said, we're massive on that localization of infrastructure. So, you know, we're in, we're in uh, Cameroon, you know, I, I don't speak English, obviously Pascal and, um, um, and some of his team members do. It's like, um, I'm, maybe I'm on the, on the outside, but then they can really communicate and build around, you know, maybe the mobile money aspects, right? Um, the, you know, and communicate to localized uh, developers. So I think, um, you know, we've come from that outreach aspect. I think we've done multiple different things. Um, you know, I've talked to multiple different levels of government, you know, across the years and then how to communicate that. So, you know, outreach activities, you know, especially within localized dialects, right, is, is very important. And, and and we've also built around that. I think even within our team, we've, we've, we've had different groups of, um, 
of builders that can that can help with the relation, right? The global relations aspect. So, uh, yeah, it's very massive within the core of in our, in our mission of just like you know bridging traditional finance and decentralized finance to create you know real products to uh, for the continent of Africa. So it's definitely you know um, cross cross language and communication is massive. Yeah, and uh, one other thing which uh, we are doing is first with our engineers, we try to be as we try to cover as much as of the company of the continent. As possible, I think right now we have um, developers in Nigeria, Cameroon, and uh, Kenya. Um, but our goals are to also cover the northern region, uh, the central region, and the southern region as well. And uh, something else that we try to um, build as a culture is uh, basically internships. Uh, we have very seasoned engineers with a lot of uh, Web3 experience. And uh, we try to, you know, pair them up with uh, a college student, a fresh um, um, graduate um, from their bachelor's and get them to work in the same environment, right? Uh, yes, we expect productivity out of them, but the main goal here is really knowledge transfer. And uh, it's also a good way to kind of give them a spark into the industry working on a real um, um, product. Um, and uh, one other thing we try to encourage, uh, this is not just for our engineering side, but like company-wide, right? Because if you are in the Web3 space, uh, technically you are an evangelist, right? When you look at um, what is the global adoption of uh, Web3 technology today, it's still quite small. So anyone involved in the space um, kind of indirectly is an evangelist, and uh, we are kind of promoting that within Council Finance. And uh, we do have some folks that uh, are ambassadors to some um, projects uh, locally that we've been able to kind of groom. And uh, that is, for example, the um, Cello Network. We do have a engineer that is an ambassador on the ground in Cameroon, and he's been able to get some interest from about 200 other engineers that may be looking to build on those type of networks and other networks. So... Um, those are kind of the, uh, I would say, the, the behaviors that we, we try to cultivate within cancer finance to make sure that we solve the problem for ourselves. Because at the end of the day, the interns, if they end up having a good experience, they would most likely come back to work for us. Um, and also, if we have cancer finance folks that are um, um, representing different networks on the ground and they're supported by those networks with different resources, they can essentially grow um, um, developer communities that both the network and cancer finance can leverage from. So those are the things we're doing um, 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 internally to, to kind of uh, resolve that problem at, at our scale. On that point of internship and education, what advice would you give to new builders, entrepreneurs in the space? Obviously, yeah, like the, the, the interns and, and, and grooming are different, like, um, you know, ecosystems. I think it's uh, massive towards us. Like how we look at it, and obviously, um, I think Pascal mentioned it, like we, we've worked with multiple ecosystems, right? Um, we've, we, we, I think we've, we've identified different parts of how, you know, across the B2C and the B2B aspects of how, um, you know, different ecosystems can work. I think um, obviously when 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 now with the, with the Jed we we have a very very good use case for what, what Jed goes into mainnet and then using that for cross border aspects and using that as well as a different um, arbitrage um, different like channel for the stable coins um, and and then testing that actually within 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 real, real world aspects 
Um, we've done multiple different MOUs. So, you know, some students, so what we learned when we started doing um, some university outreach activities, you know, some students was like, okay, we're building on, on BNB chain. Okay, we're, we're utilizing um, Celo. Um, oh, I, I know some questions about Tezos. Oh, uh, some questions about ADA and Cardona. It seems like multiple of the young user bases were just going towards chains um, mm -hmm. and, and then really developing on what they see because of the fees, right? The fees were so cheap. It's not like you're not going to see a, de a developer, I'm going to be building on ETH and I'm spending $40 on transaction fees. And then that $40 in my local currency is like a month, a month's worth of like food and groceries, et cetera. So you're migrating towards, you know, that, like I said, that localized aspect. And when you're building on, on, on ADA and you're building on maybe like different layer twos that can give you different access, then you can understand exactly how they, um, how they can really create like value at the end of the day. So I think um, obviously with, um, uh, with us, we, we, we've got this uh, Web3 and Emerging e e uh, Economies uh, Coindesk Summit. I think that's going to give a lot of spotlight towards the continent of Africa and emerging markets and, and opportunity there. And, um, um, you know, I just left uh, um, Singapore. I think there was, there was a lot of synergy around Cardona and ADA. I think there was a massive news announcement there as well. And that got a lot of, you know, people talking around the, con uh, around the conference, which was very bullish. I think um, I heard mentions of you know, certain conferences on, um, outside of uh, Asia that they were very bearish, right? So it was very good. And they're like, yeah, I'm actually happy to be here. But I think um, it, it's, it's buzzing, especially with what Emogo and ADAverse um, has been pushing. I think um, there, there, there's a lot of companies now, like I said, when I talk about OTC activity that are using ADA and then different type of options for um, 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 asset settlement and uh, as a settlement layer and using that kind of the network. I think a uh, majority of the infrastructure products that we use as well, everything supports ADA and Cardona. So um, yeah, I'm just bullish and excited. I think um, the next uh, bullish uh, cyclical is I think emerging markets is top top narrative. Um, it's gonna be a top focus and actual real fire aspects and authenticity products actually given end users, not these artificial APYs and yields and giving them actual real yields. So you can actually experience, you know, the effects of basically all this on-chain activity in real life. I guess in the space, we're all after utility and utility seems to be always the catalyst, right? Um, so I, I, I believe uh, for a lot of the solutions um, that exists within the innovative space, uh, those customers exist in real life and they are, uh, most of them are across emerging markets. So um, I, I think the, the next boom um, would be um, solutions, right, that are geared towards solving um, problems that, that, that people face. And actually like the example of what they just said, you know, if it's going to cost me $40 for a transaction and, and that, that is like my groceries for the, for the whole week, right? I'm not going to be working on that network, right? So, um, I think the, the next, um, um, uh, big transition and, and what we're actually at the forefront doing is, um, listening to people, right? Not, you know, diving into Twitter and, and Discord groups, but listening to actual people and and uh, uh, kind of getting um, affiliated with their pain points, right? And uh, also looking at it at the bigger scale and seeing what is the actual impact um, uh, at the big scale, right? And uh, gathering all this information and, and building products to resolve them, right? I think that's that's what we're focusing on and, and we think that's going to be the next trend in the space given that we've had um, 
a few market down times, right? And I think in each of those times, we ask questions and we set new standards, right? Um, the ICO phase came and kind of uh, disappeared, right? And, uh, you know, the, 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 the people in the space and also enthusiasts or uh, people looking at it from the outside in, um, they now understand projects need to be vetted out a lot more. Um, um, there need to be a stricter method of vet, vetting out projects, right? So I think for this downtime going into the next um, bull market, I think um, it's going to be what are your users, right? And what are they doing? And what problem are you solving? And uh, um, how efficient is your solution, right? So uh, I think we're kind of positioning ourselves there as a company. Uh, we, we really want to focus on having an ear right on the ground when it comes to users. And, and like I mentioned, I think uh, those users already exist and uh, we're in, in the process of cultivate, educating them, cultivating them and also retaining them. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Build Up Africa. If you'd like to learn more about Adverse, please head over to adverse.co. If you'd like to pitch for investment, please email a copy of your pitch deck, as well as an overview of your company to pitch at adverse.co. You can listen to Build Up Africa on YouTube, Medium, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. See you guys next time.